Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. The January 6th committee has released their recommendations, and it is devastating for Donald Trump. Charges against him of defrauding the government, obstructing official proceeding, and insurrection have been forwarded to the DOJ. Is this really where we lock him up? We'll also talk about the case of Edward Kelly, the January 6th insurrectionist who was charged recently in a plot to kill law enforcement personnel who were investigating his case, including a planned attack on the FBI field office in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we'll talk about Frank Pavone, the MAGA activist and former Catholic priest, recently defrocked by the Vatican. What does this mean for the self-described Trad-Cath movement? Thanks for joining us today. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe to the newsletter at didnothingwrongpod.com. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating. Thank you again for your support. The January 6th committee has wrapped up its work, and they've referred Trump to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution. Now, this is a largely symbolic act. DOJ doesn't have to act, and Jack Smith was already appointed by Merrick Garland as a special counsel to review both of the ongoing investigations into Trump. The first is related to January 6th, and the other is related to Trump's mishandling of classified documents. We don't know what Smith is going to do here, but surely he's going to be going through everything the committee has uncovered in order to help him make a determination about what to do next. Even if Trump doesn't get charged, we should probably take a moment and say that, yes, it was an insurrection. It was an attempted coup. They may not have gotten away with it, but they really did try, didn't they? They absolutely did. And I think there are a lot of people who have convinced themselves and want to convince their audience that, well, he's been referred to DOJ. So now they got him. Now it's now it's done. And Hmm. we don't know what's going to happen next. And Jack Smith is a special counsel. He's acting independently. He is not probably going to rely very heavily on the recommendations of politicians. He's certainly going to go and look at the information that they've uncovered, which is rather extensive. The report is, I think, over a thousand pages. It's There is a lot to go through. He is absolutely going to benefit from this. He's absolutely going to use what they've, what they've learned here. And I'm imagining if he needs to interview members of the committee or their staff, he'll do that as well. So it's not like this doesn't matter and it didn't need to be done. It did. It needed to be chronicled. We needed a record for history's sake and I think for our own sanity so that we can point to this and say, yeah, it did happen. But I, I think it's worth right here and right now just there's a summary of the January 6th committee's report. CNN put up a version on their site and I was reading through it and I thought, yeah, this is worth saying and reading through. It says, based upon this assembled evidence, the committee has reached a series of specific findings, including the following. Number one is, beginning election night and continuing through January 6th and thereafter, Donald Trump purposely disseminated false allegations of fraud related to the 2020 presidential election in order to aid his effort to overturn the election and for purposes of soliciting contributions. (laughs) These... (laughs) (laughs) Got to get that in there. I, I like I like that they put that in there because it is always it is always about the grift. Definitely, it's usually at least two goals or more. Maybe there's several things they're trying at once, but yeah, the money's always there. They always need the money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And these false claims provoked his supporters to violence on January six. So it goes on and it lists the fraud claims, the lawsuits, the pressure on Mike Pence the effort to corrupt DOJ, all of this. And that's that's just sort of the summary. And then comes the evidence. Like, I'm very glad we have this. It kind of, to me, though, it sounds or it looks a lot like the Mueller report to a bit, but even more so the Senate intelligence report on the Russian interference in the 2016 election, which I don't think many people have read and and no. few even know exists. That's a shame. It's absolutely important that it's there. I'm glad we have it. And if you want to read it, go read it. It's great. But is it going to change anything? Probably not. Yeah. 
was going to say there's a thousand pages, at least probably 990 of that is Republican operatives taking the fifth on one thing or another. Yeah. They really, they, they did a pretty thorough job. They interviewed all the principals that were around and most of them really didn't have a whole lot to say. Yeah. I saw, I saw that Charlie Kirk was asked if he was the head of TPUSA and he took the fifth. Yes. He took the fifth on everything from like his level of education to <laughs> he, he did. He did actually clarify his address. That was the only thing he didn't take the fifth about. So they doxed him, right? Yes. They Those totally doxed him. Assassination coordinates. Is that absolute assassination That's... coordinates? Please. Nobody go assassinate Charlie Kirk. Oh my goodness. He will eventually die in, you know, his own ignominy and shame. Please. He doesn't need this. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, they've they've raised enough money to have some fancy lawyers who've said just don't answer anything and they don't have to. And so much of this was kind of for show. I hate to say it. And it, and it was a good show and it was an important show. And the videos really paint Trump and some of his staunchest supporters in a in a really bad light. And we should take stock of that and we should use that to maybe stop the train wreck that is the the current iteration of the GOP. But that's not going to happen because they, they still want power. They still, he's still eligible to run in the next election. And, and maybe, maybe some of the evidence here will, will inform Jack Smith on what he needs to do next. And maybe it won't, but it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. And and the story's not over. No, no, it's not. I, I wish it was. And it should have been after this, but they went another way. Right. And again, I, I hope that Jack Smith takes this into account. I mean, I hope he gets charged. I hope he gets convicted. But we've been down this road so many times over the last five years with Trump. How many times has it been he's getting convicted or he's going to be charged or he's going to be removed from office? There's been so many times that this has come up and it just there's people that are still making a good living saying that every morning, that this is going to be the end of him. And... It it is when it is, yeah. It's over when it's over, we're, and we're guilty of that too. I I think mm-hmm. I think all of us, probably anybody listening to this, has thought the same thing because whether you're right or left, you're if you're listening to this, you're probably not full blown MAGA unless I guess you're listening to us to hate listen, which is fine, <laughs> which is fine. Hey, <laughs> uh, but I think everyone who's who's some degree of anti Trump at a certain point thought, okay, this is, this has got to be it. Well, it, it started with, well, 2016 campaign when he made fun of a disabled person. It, it was the access Hollywood tape, but throughout his presidency and up to the present day, there's just been a new scandal and a new thing. And some of them have been, some of them have warranted it to be the end of Trump, but we all know how that went. And I think, I think for, for you and I, we just realized at a certain point that there's so little that we can control. And it's not our say when Trump is going to jail or not going to jail or when he's done politically or, or when we just have to stop talking about him. Right. And I think we've just accepted that there are stories and there are scandals that are worth talking about and reporting on. And there are some that just, that just aren't. That thing when when his first wife Ivana Trump died, and I, I think you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Two days of he buried her at the golf course. What that was, I, yeah. and there was a certain section of Twitter that had just convinced themselves that maybe Trump had her killed because of some. I think they were going in into depositions in New York and. There was some sort of strange conspiracy where maybe she had some sort of information and so he had her killed and and then buried at his golf course. And there's no basis for any of this. There's absolutely no evidence. But for at least a couple of days, it was all certain sections of Twitter could talk about and think about. And they had convinced themselves once again that this was going to be the end of Trump. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it was obvious to us immediately that this is nothing. This is crazy. Don't, don't amplify this, but it's been varying degrees of that for a while. And I I think the important thing is to know when to stop just accepting that stuff, even devoting any mental space to it at all. Right. Even fact checking some of that stuff at a certain point, you you start to go, well, somebody else is going to do this. Somebody else can, can find the evidence that this didn't happen, but I'm pretty sure this didn't happen. 
you have better things to do with your time. And we say that to ourselves. We say that to everybody listening. You really have better things to do with your bandwidth than to buy whatever the latest Trump's going down conspiracy is. Yeah. Go, go touch some grass. Go watch a movie. Go. Seriously. Go to bed early. I just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's yes. not anything. And if it looks too good to be true, shouldn't by now we all realize that it's probably too good to be true. I don't know. I think, I, like I said, I think we've all been guilty of it. And, uh, oh, definitely. I have. Yeah. I know, I know I have. But I also think the media loves to kind of hold their nose up to people who are not journalists, who are not, you know, if you're, you're not pedigreed in at the New York Times, well, then they can hold their, their nose to us lesser beings in the world, which is absolutely thing. It actually happens. I love good journalism, but some mm-hmm. of it is, is elitist and all this. But I think the information space is always evolving. And I think journalists don't know everything. No one knows everything. But it is possible to be out ahead on stories and actually be right. But if you start thinking you're always out ahead and you're always right and you always know better than everyone else, well, that's when you start buying into stuff like Ivana Trump was buried at the golf course and she's the the secret to, to bringing him down and, oh, it, she fell down some stairs. Well, that sounds convenient. I can't just buy that story. I think there's room for all of us to play a part and and to be helpful. And there's there's plenty of open source researchers on Twitter right now that are looking into George Santos, the incoming, or at least he was incoming GOP house rep who has apparently lied about nearly everything in his background and history. And are we sure he's actually a Republican? <laughs> he's, he's not, he's not Jewish. He is uh, not from Belgium or Ukraine. He did not work at Goldman Sachs and various other places. It's unclear if he's ever owned real estate, much less a $10 million home. There are people online right now who are uncovering stuff, who are looking into it or finding videos and websites of his business associates. And like that information could prove relevant and helpful to prosecutors, to investigators. So it's, it's not like we can't all do something and make a difference. But we also have to be able to determine what's real and what isn't and what we can control and what we can't. And what's going to happen to Trump is largely out of all of our hands. And this report, while it's, I think, important, and it it needed to happen, it is not the end. No. And at some point, we have to move on because they have. They have moved on to the next thing. They are already planning the next thing. Our job, like you said, if we're trying to be helpful, if we're trying to determine what to do to stop these people from planning the next coup, is to be where they are now, not where they were two years ago or three years ago or five years ago. And right now, a lot of the the main actors are still out there the most of the people who went down for january 6 were the little guys right the dummies yeah they were the ones who took in this information and believed the shit posters on the internet who told them it was stolen and it's all a lie and they took their donations and they convinced them that they had to go fight for trump and then they went to jail and trump did not fight for them and the influencers and the people who got rich lying to them are still lying and they're getting ready for one more go. They're getting ready for Trump 2024. And mm-hmm. maybe he'll go down for January 6th or for the classified documents investigation, the mishandling of that. Or maybe he'll win the nomination. We don't know. We cannot predict that. It's just going to have to happen on its own. And I think the important thing for me and for you is that there are a lot of guys out there who are big time MAGA and they're ready for one more go. But if it's not Trump, they're going to go for somebody else because this is their job and what they do for a living. And we have to be kind of on the... We can't be fighting the last war. We can't be fighting the last battle because that's what they would love. That same group of people that you refer to would love it if we spent the next two years absolutely fixated on everything that happened, all the old drama, all the old trolling, all the old everything. They would love if we were to fixate on that and 
if we do, it makes it real hard to pay attention to what they're up to now. And what they're up to now is every bit as insidious. So... Yeah, and, and there will be a next thing and a next thing after that. And their relationship with Trump was a mutually beneficial one. He got political aid from trolls and shit posters and some of the worst people on the internet and they got notoriety and fame and in some cases a lot of cash Mm -hmm. and unfortunately whether trump is here or not here those people still exist with their larger platforms with their larger followings and they got what they needed out of it yeah they're not gonna go quit and join a hedge fund or something they don't they don't have that option this is their career this is their life and it will continue to evolve and we will continue to see what they do with it. But they're here to stay. I mean, Game of Thrones is over. You can't go back to blogging about that. So speaking of the insurrection, speaking of January 6th, a Tennessee man by the name of Edward Kelly was arrested earlier this year for his role in the January 6th insurrection. Kelly reportedly broke a window, entered the Capitol building, damaged property while inside and assaulted a law enforcement officer. Those charges remain outstanding, but while he was out on bond, Kelly managed to obtain a list of law enforcement officers who were investigating him. And on December 16th, Kelly and another man named Austin Carter were charged with conspiracy, retaliating against a federal official, interstate communication of a threat, and solicitation to commit a crime of violence. They reportedly made plans to kill FBI officers working in the Knoxville, Tennessee field office. That's horrific on its own. But Kelly's original indictment contains information about his association with the church at Planned Parenthood. What's the story with that church and how does it relate to the other extremist figures we've followed over the years? Yeah, it's interesting because I I was looking at the complaint against Kelly and they've got him in D.C. on January 5th and January 6th and they essentially track him through both days and follow him around as he breaks into the Capitol building and moves from hallway to hallway. But in the January 5th video, he is wearing this hoodie that, that like you said, TCAPP and the church at Planned Parenthood. And when I first looked at that, I thought, well, wait, uh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds familiar. But if you don't have any, context it's 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 sort of weird what what does a church have to do with planned parenthood because these guys are always the the right wingers the anti-abortion folks for pretty self-explanatory reasons don't like planned parenthood so how could there be a church involved if you're going to break it down to that there's a church at planned parenthood what what's happening here so there's apparently we knew about spokane and matt shea and there's a pretty big dominionist movement there as you as you spoke about but there's also this church at planned parenthood that that moved to Maryville, tennessee which is near knoxville and they're across the street from planned parenthood and they've set up shop to not only protest planned parenthood and try to oppose abortions and all this but it's really this extremist movement that's spreading out and kind of trying to grow itself but hey they've also he's he's wearing this hoodie with tcapp and he's also wearing this maga hat and he breaks into the capitol building and and then he finds out who was investigating him and tries to murder them um yes yes doesn't sound very christian of him now does it no no not at all The church at Planned Parenthood has been a thing for a few years now. Yeah, this started in Spokane with a guy by the name of Ken Peters and um, a gentleman we've referred to before by the name of Matt Shea, who is um, running his own sort of dominionist rebellion in eastern Washington. He wants to be the king of what's known as American Redoubt, and that's a whole other article. If you want to know more about Matt Shea, I'd suggest the podcast Bundyville episode, Politician and the Preacher. It's phenomenal, and it'll tell you a lot about what Matt Shea's up to. But in this particular case, Ken Peters is the other half of this duo. They've both been big Trump supporters, big Stop the Steal proponents. Peters started this church Basically, what they were doing was holding a protest rally on the sidewalk in Spokane across the street from Planned Parenthood, and in some cases on the street in front of it. There's been a lot of litigation and law enforcement's been involved in this a whole lot. They ended up with 
a judgment against them for basically they've been setting up with bullhorns and microphones and everything else for years now. And the city at first didn't want to enforce their own noise ordinances about this. Basically, what we've got is a movement that started there and it's spread out. There's an article also by um, David Newert from Daily Coast where he talks about how they had one of these rallies in Salem, Oregon in, um, let's see here, August 11th, 2021. Salem, Oregon, they had this rally in front of the local women's health clinic and their security crew was the Proud Boys, including Tiny the notorious Portland brawler who's been involved in many of these things that you've probably seen him in over the years. It, it's turned into sort of an alliance between the hardcore anti-abortion protesters and people like the Proud Boys, people like the Oath Keepers who've gotten involved in this in Spokane. And they have proceeded to basically set up shop in front of Planned Parenthood and intimidate people. They are all over the nation at this point. Yeah, and looking at Daily Koss and David Nywert's reporting on this, and he's he's talking about Ken Peters and his relationship with Matt Shea. And in some ways, we, we may be desensitized to this idea of extremism and extremist figures. But Matt Shea left the Washington House of Representatives after he was connected to domestic terrorist factions, as Nywert put it. And these, these are the real deal. These are the secessionists. These are the people that want to and advocate violent overthrow to achieve their goals. These are the, these are the guys that they say it out loud and they seem to mean it. Yeah. This, this story comes up in, in the Bundyville podcast, but there was a woman in a diner in, Spokane Valley, Washington, who heard the people that were sitting behind her in the booth planning what sounded like a terrorist attack. And she got scared and she took out her phone and she recorded this. And then she called the police and basically said, I think there are terrorists in the booth behind me and they're talking about doing an attack. So the police came out to check it out. And it turns out that the two people in the booth behind her were Matt Shea and recently convicted seditionist Stuart Rhodes. This was 2014, and they're sitting here discussing things that obviously sort of came to pass a few years later in Washington with Stuart Rhodes being arrested, charged, and convicted for seditious conspiracy. So the woman did a good thing there, I think, by calling law enforcement. I I think so. I think it's telling, though, that it's just a random person overhears them and thinks they're terrorists. It's it's not a journalist was was following them or some sort of s- political figure overheard them in a back room. It's no. a, a lady in a diner thought she heard some terrorists planning an attack. Seriously, you're in a Mexican restaurant in Spokane Valley and you're eating and all of a sudden you hear this conversation that you're like, <laughs> oh my God. Whoa, hold on, get the phone yeah. out, start recording, call the cops. Like, what do you what do you have to hear and what do they have to be talking about for you to right. take that seriously and do that? And it was absolutely the right thing, but it is a weird sort of overlap here because Shay's I know he's been going on InfoWars for years and two thousand nine was his first appearance on InfoWars. Okay. Alex Jones in that clip has hair. <laughs> It's worth looking up. If you've never seen non-bald Alex Jones, you should check this out because Alex Jones has hair in that clip. It's amazing. So this is this is a little confusing, but you've got Ken Peters. He founds the church at Planned Parenthood in Spokane, and he he leaves and goes to Knoxville, Tennessee to start another chapter. And we're not clear why he picked Knoxville because it's quite a ways from Spokane. But in any case, he goes to Knoxville. And Matt Shea was left behind, essentially. He's left the GOP house, and Peters wants him to take over the church. Supposedly, there's some sort of argument or fight that happens. Who knows? Who knows? What What do you have to say or do to fall out in, in this group of people? I don't even right. want to guess. Right. But in any case, they, they were closely aligned for many years. And Ken Peters set up this chapter in Knoxville. And here's this guy, Edward Kelly, who participates in January 6th and... Um, is a member of Peter's new flock. And so after he, after Kelly gets arrested, he is then plotting to murder FBI officers who uh, investigated him in the Knoxville field office. And thank God he was caught and thank God they found him. But you, you've got so much 
so many different strains that are that are coming together here because you've looking at again at David Nywert's reporting, he said of Ken Peters, the head of the Knoxville church, he said, Peters is a rabidly pro-Trump pastor who has appeared on stage in recent months with Mike Lindell, the my pillow conspiracy theorist who claims Donald Trump was the victim of election fraud. Peters also spoke to the crowd gathered in Washington, DC on January 5th at a pre-rally for the next day's Stop the Steal protest that devolved into the Capitol insurrection. So you had Peters there with Mike Lindell, and you had this guy, Edward Kelly, who was there on January 5th and January 6th. And he was even looking at the at the complaint with DOJ. Kelly was first seen on the night of January 5th in a live stream on DLive hmm. with Baked Alaska, of all people. Well. Yeah, the, the right-wing anti-Semitic troll who's, I guess he was a Trump supporter and now he supposedly is with Kanye and he's back on Twitter. Uh, thanks to the, thanks, the reinstatements. Thanks, Elon. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a neo-Nazi at this point. He's gone full, fully, mm-hmm. uh, embraced that lifestyle and he was on D Live on January 5th, which was a, a platform also used by Nick Fuentes, who was big in Stop the Steal. Baked Alaska went into the Capitol. He's the guy that you saw at Nancy Pelosi's desk holding his phone up with the baseball cap and the beard. That's him. That's him. That's him. You've got this January 6th speech, the Stop the Steal event, and, and everything sort of devolves and turns into the Capitol insurrection. But you've got Stop the Steal that was originally started by Roger Stone. It was picked up by Ali Alexander. And you've got Stuart Rhodes, who is a friend of Matt Shea, who was also coordinating to some extent with Roger Stone, who again started Stop the Steal. And you've got this foot soldier, Edward Kelly, who is clearly an extremist and he wants to murder the FBI. But you've got all these these strains and, and everything is just kind of crossing into this. Well, we're a different conspiracy or a different figure in the conspiracy orbit brought us here, but they all have helped each other and amplified each other and worked together. Wasn't it the Oath Keepers that had their Friends of Stone chat room? Yes, Friends of Stone chat room. Friends of Stone. So, and and you've got um, what was that? Twenty fourteen that Matt Shea and and Stuart Rhodes. Yeah, Stuart Rhodes were, I mean, and Matt Shea has been doing this kind of stuff for a while. Matt Shea has been absolutely in the forefront of, you know, there's no other way to put it, you know, anti-government activism up there in the Northwest for quite some time now. And he is kind of like I I said, I, I think part of the reason he left the legislature was that he at some point wants to be the king of what comes next. That's a common theme in his speeches and his rallies is what are we going to do when society falls? How are we going to be prepared for that? Do we have enough ammunition? Do we have enough soldiers? Do we have enough people who are willing to come on with our cause that we can take the place over? So, so then you start adding all this together and you think, okay, well, all these different people, baked Alaska was just this, he worked at Buzzfeed at one point. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he, he became this online troll who radicalized himself and joined the MAGA movement and has become full-blown neo-Nazi Kanye West supporter. You've got the church at Planned Parenthood, which was apparently it's appealing to hardline anti-abortion activists, but it's also appealing to these really extremist figures who are essentially secessionists and then they're, mm-hmm. they're white nationalists who are also involved. You've got the proud boys in there. You've got the proud boys in there. You've got guys who are frequently going on Infowars. Roger Stone has frequently for the last five, six years, he's been on Infowars all the time. He had a, at least for a while, he had an almost daily radio show on Infowars. And then you've got, you've got Stuart Rhodes and, and the Oath Keepers movement. I mean, you, you've got, people who come into this from so many different angles, but they all, they've all found common cause one way or the Mm -hmm. other. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how they got here. They all agreed that, yeah, we're going to go do this thing together. And there's quite a lot of them now at this point. I mean, you can call it Christian nationalism. You can call it dominionism. There's any number of like labels that people have applied to this, but they don't all fit because you've got so many different groups kind of coming together under this. But the one thing that they tend to agree on is that 
they would like to see the democratic system of government collapse. I'm not sure if calling them accelerationists is quite the right move here, but I can't see what they'd be doing differently in some cases. These are the people that are waiting to pick up the pieces if democracy falls. This is what they want. This is what they're prepped for. This is what they've been marinating in for a decade at least. This kind of rhetoric has been huge in that part of the country. I grew up there. Trust me. (laughs) This is something that people have been talking about for years. What happens when it all goes down? And they want to pick up the pieces and install their version of religious supremacy rule in that part of the world if they get it. And they're all tied together now. They're all working together. They're all establishing bonds between the various groups. And it's it's scary. Well, and it is. It absolutely is. And I and I think it's like you said, it is it is related and they are finding common cause, whether they're trying to pull off a coup on January sixth or they're threatening law enforcement. I I think it, it is also important to remember how much the threats against the FBI have increased. Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot of that coming out after the FBI had a search warrant and searched Trump's property for the classified documents that he refused to hand over. And, and we know that led to a special counsel being appointed, but whether it was kind of in the more well-known MAGA media figures or these more extremist fringe kind of movements, they once again found common cause in attacking the FBI and blaming the FBI. Right. It's mirroring Trump's deep state rhetoric. The deep state is out to, out to get him. And the deep state is, is, is going to come after. They're not, I, I know we've talked about this a lot. One of his favorite memes was that it's, they're not really after me. They're after you. So not only is he telling people, yeah, it's them over there. It's the, the FBI. They're the bad ones. He's telling them that it's not just about defending Trump. It's about defending themselves and the wrong kind of person, whether they're already an extremist figure or mentally unwell, they hear that and they hear a call to action. And, and I don't think that this, this guy, Edward Kelly was acting because of anything Trump said, but he's clearly part of an extremist movement that does not respect the democratic form of government and the law enforcement that ensures that is upheld yeah, it, it is It is an assault on all of our institutions, and we need to take it seriously. We do. We do. And speaking of people who are on kind of a different side of that movement, it's, again, maybe the denomination is different here, but these same people with the same similar political views and ideas on what they'd like to see the system of government look like have been able to make common cause across denominational lines in a way that just hasn't happened previously. Recently, Frank Pavone, not father anymore, was defrocked by the Vatican earlier this month, meaning he is no longer a Catholic priest. However, that doesn't mean we're done hearing about him. In fact, it may mean the opposite. Ex-father Pavone was a member of Trump's religious advisory committees during his presidential campaigns, and he's likely to feature more prominently in his upcoming 2024 run. He's been on the outs with the church now for years because he's refused orders from his bishop in Texas and official directives from the Vatican. He has instead chosen to work on his anti-abortion group, Priests for Life, which he claims is a full-time job that's more important than his duties as a priest. This is a guy who's going on Bannon's show, Seb Gorka's show, and saying he's a victim of the deep church who are out (laughs) to get him. (laughs) Is that really what's going on here? Oh yeah, the deep church, man. We all know about the deep church. I was, <laughs> I was, I was talking to my wife about that, and I, I, I was saying, uh, doesn't he just mean the church? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what's the deal with the separation of the deep church and deep state? How does that work? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I watched several of his interviews that he's given in the last week or so, and. He very much does not sound like a priest. He just sounds like a politician or political activist or a just a shit poster online. And then you start to look at his Twitter account and then you realize, oh, yeah, he is a shit poster. Yeah, the, the deep church is after him. And he, he told Bannon, well, you know, you have a, a deep state and well, we have to deal with a deep church. And 
it it's just he's hitting all the notes because he's one of them. He's been around, like I said, from since 2016. He posted this absolutely honestly, it's just vile video of an unborn fetus on an altar and essentially said, well, Hillary Clinton is fine with this and you need to go support Trump because he's going to support our movement and not let these Democrats get away with killing all these unborn children. And he he's honestly gotten a lot of backlash from actual practicing Catholics and and there are quite a few Catholic media organizations and they've written and I know there's one that I was reading that essentially said, well, it's about time. Um, what, you know, what he said, what took so long? And even Pavone in a statement that he made after this said that himself, he said, what took so long? Right. Because it seems like he's wanted this. And as soon as he found out it happened, he goes on this media blitz. He's on Bannon's show. He's on Seb Gorka's show. He's been on OAN and Fox and Newsmax in the past. He, he's soaking it all up. He's using this to send people to his site and, and solicit donations. And he's, he's just one of them. This is what they all do. They, they gain a little spotlight and they exploit it. And then they say, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm fighting the good fight. Bannon kept talking about how he's, He's been out there fighting Roe v. Wade longer than anyone, and the the deep church hates him for it. As if it's just, and some of these headlines are just so absurd. You've got a recent video of Bannon with Charlie Kirk and Mike Lindell and this guy named Taylor Marshall, and they're essentially talking about Pope Francis is colluding with Joe Biden to attack Father Pavone. And, and Bannon goes on his, another episode and he's, he says, Father Pavone is, is this going to cause a schism within the church? Huh. <laughs> as, as if anyone cares about this random guy, uh, enough to cause a, a schism. If you don't know a lot about Catholicism, schisms are, or at least used to be fairly common, but it took a little more than some, random priest who refused to do his job because that's what we're dealing with here. We're not dealing with this, oh, differences in in doctrine or practice or the future of the church. It's a guy who decided he set up this organization called Priests for Life, and it is this hardline anti-abortion stance that they've taken, and he's essentially refused to do his job. His bishop, his boss in Texas has told him, you have to be a priest. You can't just go out there and be a political activist. Mm -hmm. And he refused. And when you are a priest, you have to listen to your bishop and do what the bishop tells you. This is not negotiable. (laughs) This is like, I mean, I was raised Catholic. This is not one of those things that they really give you the option on. You do what the bishop says. The bishop does what the pope says. The pope is, as they put it, the vicar of Christ on earth. The pope is as close to infallible as you're going to get. And that is something that the Catholics have believed since the word go for them. So if the bishop is telling you, you need to knock this crap off and go actually do your job and minister to your parishioners. And you say, no, I think I want to go on Steve Bannon's show again. I don't think it's really important to, you know, minister to the sick or the poor or anything else. I, I think I want to go hang out with Bannon and talk about, you know, anti-abortion. At some point, this is going to blow back on you. And it, it took about 15 years. Uh-huh. He really milked this for all that it's worth. And he, they really tried to give him a chance and tried to warn him and tried to tell him this was eventually going to happen and uh, things move slowly. And at a certain point, it became pretty clear they didn't want to do this. So some of the criticisms of the church after this were saying, why aren't they explaining this? Why aren't they? Because what they actually said was he, let me, let me read it, what they actually said. They said that he's been defrocked, that Pavone has been defrocked for, quote, blasphemous communications on social media, as well as persistent disobedience. So there's the, there's the part about he's not listening to his bishop. He refused to do his job. But the blasphemous communications on social media, he's all up in arms about this and he's, well, what, what have I done? I've just, oh, I supported Trump and they just don't like Trump because the, the Catholics are in league with, as he calls it, fake fake Catholic Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. It's, it's always the conspiracy. It's always, oh, there's, we're, we're uncovering the, the deep state and the deep church collusion and all this. But 
when you start to think about, okay, why isn't the church saying more and why aren't they explaining themselves? I think because they realize that this guy is going to fundraise and, and milk everything they say for attention, for he'll, he's going to play up the grievances. He's claiming they didn't communicate with him. They didn't give him a chance. It was all one sided. They only told him what he could do and wouldn't listen to him. I, I don't believe any of that. I just think he's intentionally making the church look as bad as he possibly can mm-hmm. and casting himself as a victim constantly because it, it plays better on TV and because the MAGA audience, he keeps hitting all these, these talking points that are very similar to MAGA and how they feel and how they feel like they're being persecuted and all this. So yeah, the church is largely silent because they, they know what this guy's game is. Right. And they don't want to give this guy any more ammunition than he's already got. And there is definitely a section of the MAGA movement that identifies as, you know, Tradcath, which we're coming to realize looks a lot like, you know, pre-Vatican II Catholics. They believe in the Latin Mass. They believe that, you know, the Jews are responsible for the killing of Christ. They don't just believe in the Latin Mass. Their problem is they, they think there should only be Latin Mass. Right. They call themselves traditionalists, but... They, I think all of the sane voices within Catholicism are, they're willing to argue about whether or not, uh, Latin mass should happen more or whether it's, it's holier or it, it's a better experience. But I don't see anyone who's not an extremist saying it, you can only do Latin mass. And if it's not Latin mass, then it's not Catholicism. I mean, even former Pope Benedict, who was thought of as a a real hardline conservative within the church, he did a lot to encourage bringing it back and celebrating it sometimes, but never said a word about this is the only way. The reason that they did this was to you know allow people to hear the word in their own language. That's what Vatican II was all about. That's what this this whole concept of let's go ahead and celebrate the mass in the language of the place that we're in was all about. And yeah, a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people have had issues with this since then, but you start saying that like any other mass is invalid and you're getting into some interesting territory there when it comes to what you believe. Yeah. And and you've got these people that are pretty much all in agreement on Latin mass should be the only mass. And they're, been a decent amount of reporting over the years about Bannon and his faith and how he's trying to use it. And you see him kind of uh, continuously popping up in this discussion about Christian nationalism. And it's no surprise that he Pavone gets defrocked and then he goes on Bannon's show. Yeah. But but you, you start to look at this guy's post and who he's replying to. And we'll take, for instance, his tweet on January 6th at 4.30. The insurrection is currently ongoing, and Pavone tweets, These Democrats are hypocrites. Biden should shut up. He has no authority to talk right now. He is a fraud, and he is not the president-elect. The rest of these sanctimonious, self-righteous Democrats should stop complaining. They tried to steal the election and want us to accept it. And you will know them by their love. <laughs> I mean, he's he, he posted the Stop the Steal hashtag. He's... You've got him at, at praising Jack Posobiec and you've got him with Doug Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor in the midterms. Mastriano, and there's been a good amount of reporting on his connections to just some of the worst people mm-hmm. online that are fully embracing QAnon and Christian nationalism and just conspiracy peddling. And he, I think he, Mastriano realized once he wasn't going to win and he was polling, uh, I think double digits behind Josh Shapiro. Yeah, behind Shapiro. Who ended up winning. And he just fully embraced this, this movement and this culture. And yeah, it, it is absolutely something to look out for. They're talking about traditionalism and traditional values and all this, but you've, you've got Taylor Marshall is, is one of the, he was also on Trump's religious advisory council and he appears a lot with Posobiec who claims he's a Catholic and they do a lot of stuff together. And, and Marshall wrote this book called Infiltration, the plot to destroy the church from within. And Marshall doesn't come out and say it himself, but 
he uses very Trumpy rhetoric where he says, many faithful have concluded that Pope Benedict remains Pope and that Pope Francis is an anti-Pope without the charisma and protection of the papacy. Huh. Huh. Yeah. This is kind of like their thought leader. This is a guy that Trump was listening to. This is a guy who has a really popular YouTube channel and he is essentially saying Pope Benedict is still alive. He does still live in the Vatican. He's 95 years old, but he's he's still there. But he's essentially putting forward this theory that Pope Francis is is the anti-pope. And you've got people here who they buy into that because they they love the conspiracy peddling uh-huh. and because they 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 go beyond criticizing Pope Francis. And I think I think it's fairly common these days to see some amount of criticism of the church and even the pope and there's the idea of papal infallibility is it's still around but it's not as popular as it once was am i right with that yeah yeah i mean everybody's everybody's got their issues with the way the church does things everybody's got their well they're doing the best they can but at the end of the day it's run by humans and humans are going to make mistakes and some of the criticism that these people have leveled at francis goes far beyond that this isn't a case of like, he is a human being, but he is a holy man and he's trying. These people, some of them literally think Francis is a tool of the devil. And they've said this. Yeah. And they've said you, he's wrong and you don't have to listen to him. And that, that's. Yeah, not exactly. <laughs> I mean, Pavone wants to take issue with this idea that he has blasphemous communications on social media. And you're out here essentially talking to these people who think that Francis is the anti-pope or I'm sorry, they're not saying that Francis is the anti-pope, but many people they're reporting that many, many people are saying it, just not them. Many people are saying how this works. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you've got Pavone out here being a political figure. He is calling Joe Biden a fake Catholic and his criticisms of the Pope and the Vatican it does go beyond debatable points or differing opinions and points of views, which which are things that at least I think most Catholics are willing to have a discussion about. But when you're saying the Pope is wrong, don't listen to the Pope. And when you're essentially going on interviews with people who are many people are saying that that Francis <laughs> is the anti-Pope and you want to find issue with them saying you're blasphemous. Well, yeah, you, you seem to kind of fit the definition of blasphemy, don't you? Yeah, it's definitely right there. And I think that all of these guys know what they're doing. I think they know what they actually believe. And I think that they, there's an undercurrent of this. It's been around for you know years and years, but this is the first time they've had a candidate so close to the White House and in office that might give them some of this kind of airtime that they have formerly not had. There's at least some reporting that says that Trump's embrace of these people goes back to Dan Scavino. Mm. And he's the guy that put this in their ear. They um, have been pushing not only Pavone, but they've been pushing a guy by the name of Vigano, who's a former Papal Nuncio to the United States, which is essentially the Vatican's ambassador to the United States. And he wrote a piece in February of this year that was straight up Kremlin propaganda about the war in Ukraine. There's just no getting around that. This is the kind of thing that, you know, could have been on RT. And of course, all these people jumped on it and they pushed it. They're like, former Papal Nuncio, former ambassador to the United States has said this. It's... Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm just going through and looking at just his Twitter account and Frank Pavone, just how many times he's talking to Taylor Marshall, the guy who's mm-hmm. many people are saying that Pope Francis is the anti-Pope. You've got him here. Oh, God. November 9th, 2020, right after the election. Breaking from today, Dr. Taylor Marshall breaks down the four ways Trump can win the presidency. You don't want to miss this. Uh, at real Donald Trump. Hashtag election 2020, hashtag MAGA. And then you just go through and it, there are at least half a dozen references here and interviews. And I don't know that I found an instance of Pavone actually going there himself. But if you're a priest, I don't know. I feel like 
maybe it's bad to talk to this guy who's putting forth these conspiracy theories about an anti-pope and whether or not Francis or Benedict is in charge. Let's just, let's say this. They are, these people are, they're not traditionalists because what they're trying to create is something new and different and, and bad. And it's not Catholicism. It's not this rosy picture of a, a past we have to recreate. It is a, like pretty much everything they, they do. It is a power grab. It is about control. It is about weaponizing people and a movement and ideas into something that they can use for their cynical ends to gain power. And it doesn't matter if it should be off limits, it should be, oh, it's the church, it's religion. But there have always been people who have known how to use religion to their own ends. Yep. And it's absolutely what we're seeing here. And and you've got people who, well, Jack Posobiec was, was palling around with some fascists in New York a couple weeks ago. It sort of is irrelevant whether or not they're believers or they're not. Oh, I I fully believe that they believe in something. I think that these people believe in the same things that the folks at the church at Planned Parenthood believe in. I think that what we're seeing is the coalescing of a new religious dominionist movement. And I think this is what the Catholic end of it looks like. I think that what you're seeing in Eastern Washington is what the Pentecostal end of this looks like. And these are groups that hadn't normally found a whole lot of common cause to work together. They've come together around the idea of we can come up with a a religious state when it all falls apart. We can rebuild this as the shining city on the hill, as they put it, for real this time. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it is, one, the Internet age has allowed these people to communicate and commiserate in a way that they couldn't before. Mm-hmm. And and so they're able to get out their messages and they see the the similarities in their messages. But it's also the fact that less and less people are going to church. And so the the influence and the power that these groups once had, it's not there anymore. They're not it's not built in. It's not something that they can rely on. So I think in some ways it's you've got these movements that they either go hard or they they die, or they at least become politically irrelevant. And these guys don't want that. They're not they're not okay with that. So if they have to adapt and make some compromises and join hands with people they once considered enemies, or at least those people don't pray right. Yeah, if they may have once wanted to convert their flock, and now they want to combine flocks. It's it's like a we'll sort out the details of all of how that works out later. But we agree on the big stuff. And I think that's what we're really seeing here. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word for, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.